1: Welcome back. Friday, July 21st, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. I've got, uh, let's see here, we've got Bill to my north and we have David Dahl to my west. He is our producer. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. 602-5080-960. We opened with a, uh, yesterday, um, with a little story that was written about uh, freedom of speech by Booth Tarkington in, um, in the uh, Saturday Evening Post to help illustrate verbally what Norman Rockwell illustrated in his Four Freedoms portrait of freedom of speech. And I was thinking a little bit about today and how on Fridays we often will uh, close the hour, close the last hour, close the show with Rabbi Alush, Pinchas Alush, um, to kind of, you know, get us into a more Shall we say weekend or Sabbath oriented type mood, and kind of leave some of the political and policy heft uh, where it belonged in the in the previous uh, several days. Um, he's not with us today. He'll be back with us next week. But to that end, um, there was another of those four freedoms that I thought would be fun to hear the Saturday Evening Post write up about from Norman Rockwell's uh, portrait on freedom of worship. It was written by uh, someone you may uh, you may uh, have heard more of rather than Booth Tarkington, whose name hasn't been around as much as this person. The Saturday Evening Post commissioned one of the great civilizational historians to write the essay about freedom of worship, Will Durant. Many of you know his series that he wrote with his wife, Will and Ariel Durant. Durant. Um, But before I do that, well, you know what? Let's just do it. Let me read Will Durant, and I'll come back to what I was uh, thinking in a few moments. This is uh, Will Durant's 1943 essay accompanying Norman Rockwell's Freedom of Worship. And I will say one more thing. It may sound, again, it was written in the 40s during World War II. There may be a few uh, references that seem uh, anachronistic, but replace them with the, um, with the um, racial arrogancies of today, to use Franklin Delano Roosevelt's phrase. The racial arrogancies were different then than they are today, but I think it still works. This is Will Durant. Down in the valley below the hill where I spend my summers is a little white church whose steeple has been my guiding goal in many a pleasant walk. Often, as I passed the door on weekdays when all was silent there, I wished that I might enter, sit quietly in one of the empty pews, and feel more deeply the wonder and the longing that had built such chapels, temples, and mosques, and great cathedrals everywhere on the earth. Man differs from the animal in two things. He laughs, and he prays. Perhaps the animal laughs When he plays, and prays, when he begs or mourns, we shall never know any soul but our own, and never that. But the mark of man is that he beats his head against the riddle of life, knows his infinite weakness of body and mind, lifts up his heart to a hidden presence and power, and finds in his faith a beacon of heartening hope, a pillar of strength for his fragile decency. These men of the fields, coming from afar in the uncomfortable finery of a Sabbath morn, greeting one another with bluff cordiality, entering to worship their God in their own fashion, I think sometimes that they know more than I shall ever find in all my books. They have no words to tell me what they know, but that is because religion, like music, lives in a world beyond words or thoughts or things. They have felt the mystery of consciousness within themselves and will not say that they are machines. They have seen the growth of the soil and the child. They have stood in awe amid the swelling fields and the humming and teeming woods, and they have sensed in every cell and atom the same creative power that wells up in their own striving and fulfillment. Their unmoved faces conceal a silent thankfulness for the rich increases of summer, the mortal loveliness of autumn, and the gay resurrection of the spring. They have watched patiently the movement of the stars, and found in them a majestic order so harmoniously regular that our ears would hear its music were it not eternal. Their tired eyes have known the ineffable splendor of earth and sky, even in tempest, terror, and destruction, and they have never doubted that in this beauty some sense and meaning dwell. They have seen death and reached beyond it with their hope. And so they worship. The poetry of their ritual redeems the prose of their daily toil. The prayers they pray are secret summonses to their better selves. The songs they sing are shouts of joy in their refreshed strength. The commandments they receive, through which they can live with one another in order and peace, come to them as the imperatives of an inescapable deity, not as the edicts of questionable men. Through these commands they are made part of a divine drama and their harassed lives take on a scope and dignity that cannot be canceled out by death. This little church is the first and final symbol of America. It's a great sign sentence, isn't it? This little church is the first and final symbol of America. For men came across the sea, not merely to find new soil for their plows, but to win freedom for their souls, to think and speak and worship as they would. This is the freedom men value most of all, For this they have borne countless persecutions and fought more bravely than for food or gold. These men coming out of their chapel, what is the finest thing about them next to their undiscourageable life? It is that they do not demand that others should worship as they do, or even that others should worship at all. In that waving valley are some who have a service. It is not held against them. Mutely, these worshipers understand that faith takes many forms, and that men name with diverse words the hope that in their heart is one. It is astonishing and inspiring that after all the bloodshed of history, this land should house in fellowship a hundred religions and a hundred doubts. This is with us an already ancient heritage, and because we knew such freedom of worship from our birth, we took it for granted and expected it of all mature men. Until yesterday, the whole civilized world seemed secure in that liberty. But now, suddenly, through some paranoiac mania of racial superiority, or some obscene sadism of political strategy, persecution is renewed. And men are commanded to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto Caesar the things that are God's. The Japanese, who once made all things beautiful, begin to exclude from their realm every faith but the childish belief in the divinity of their emperor. The Italians, who twice littered their peninsula with genius, are compelled to oppress a handful of hunted men. The French, once honored in every land for civilization and courtesy, hand over desolate refugees to the coldest murderers that history has ever known. The Germans, who once made the world their Debtors in science, scholarship, philosophy, and music are prodded into one of the biggest persecutions in all the annals of savagery by men who seem to delight in human misery, who openly pledge themselves to destroying Christianity, who seem resolved to leave their people no religion but war, and no God but the state. It is incredible that such reactionary madness can express the mind and heart of an adult nation. A man's dealings with his God should be a sacred thing, inviolable by any potentate. No ruler has yet existed who is wise enough to instruct a saint, and a good man who is not great is a hundred times more precious than a great man who is not good. Therefore, when we denounce the imprisonment of the heroic Martin Niemöller, the silencing of the, fraying of the brave Foulbauer, We are defending the freedom of the German people as well as of the human spirit everywhere. When we yield our sons to war, it is in the trust that their sacrifice will bring to us and our allies no inch of alien soil, no selfish monopoly of the world's resources or trade, but only the privilege of winning for all peoples the most precious gifts in the orbit of light, freedom of body and soul of movement and enterprise, of thought and utterance, of faith and worship, of hope and charity, of a humane fellowship with all men. If our sons and brothers accomplish this, if by their toil and suffering they can carry to all mankind the boon and stimulus of an ordered liberty, it will be an achievement beside which all the triumphs of Alexander, Caesar, and Napoleon will be a little thing. To that purpose they are offering their youth and their blood, to that purpose and to them we others regretting that we cannot stand beside them dedicate the remainder of our lives freedom of worship i'm Seth Leebson 6025080960 we'll be right back Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems, enforcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter. From draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, which may have led to a Biden presidency, Midas believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power and their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of my listeners have already trusted the veterans at Midas Gold Group, knowing that they're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Call Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. It's 480-360-3000, or visit them online at Midasgoldgroup.com, Midasgoldgroup.com. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Happy Friday.
2: Happy Friday to you, too, sir, sir. I finally uh, took notice and, and watched uh, the video of you and Dennis Prager at the legislature the other day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do compliment you. You were eloquent. You were, uh, And I'm not trying to suck up. Oh, yes, I am. No, I'm not. Um, I, think, I think you stated it so well, and Dennis did, too, obviously. Uh, the case for uh, freedom of speech. Imagine yeah. that. Imagine That's that. That's being suppressed yeah. Yeah. by, uh, uh, what was it, 38 signers? That uh, I, I'm assuming that not all of these or any of these 38 signers were even there.
1: They were invited and didn't show.
2: Didn't show. Imagine that. Now, yeah. I, I'm also assuming that since then they haven't even bothered uh, acknowledging uh, or thanking you for your point of view, or even admitting <laughs> that gee, maybe we could be wrong.
1: Yeah, that <laughs> doesn't uh, happen much with the left. There's no self doubt. No. That's the interesting no. thing. That's how you know it's not liberal. You know, that's right. <laughs> liberalism is 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 the belief that you just might not be right. Well, well, that's why you have right. freedom of speech, right? So you can figure it out. Well, exactly. And examine and, and things. And it's
2: okay to be wrong. Yeah. I mean, as long as you finally wake up. I mean, it's the old adage about you know it's easier to fool someone than it is to admit that you've been fooled. <laughs> um, that that just falls in line. I think uh, I think somebody else said it more eloquently, but um, and just today I was having a similar discussion with some Naval Academy classmates on a Facebook group about uh, corruption in Ukraine and. You know, 90% of us were all, it's so clear uh, that there's corruption and money laundering going on. And we provided examples and uh, clips and articles. And yet, uh, unfortunately, uh, there are some lefty liberals that actually were naval officers. Uh, well, I guess I shouldn't be that surprised. I guess every. Everything's a mix. But well, yeah, on line, that
1: point, you have a few minutes. So, but, but on that point, I'm okay. always amazed. Uh, you must be too, though, Rob, you you, you being a vet, uh, veteran yourself. I'm always amazed that um, people think just because military conservative or just because military Republican. I mean, it's just, I mean, George McGovern, John Kerry. I, it's just not true. It's just not true. right? No, right. that's true. Right.
2: Yeah, and I also I, I think of Stanfield Turner, who right. uh, was right. an admiral. right. Who uh, took over the CIA? Yeah, CIA you know?
1: under Jimmy Carter. Yeah, oh.
2: yeah, and he he depleted the human the
1: uh-huh. human, intelligence human intelligence side right. in favor
2: in in favor of the uh, the space inch, or right. the uh, e lint I guess. Uh, which again, you would think somebody that, that was that smart, he may have even been a rogue Scholar for all I recall, um, would know that there is no replacement for somebody with boots on the ground right. or. Uh, ears to the
1: uh, yeah, our eyes the on the ground. ground. Yeah, I yeah, eyes on the ground. Right. Yeah, right. But, eyes but yeah,
2: ears. but yeah. I mean, you know, you provide these people facts and evidence, and they either don't want to hear it or they don't listen. It's so interesting you're
1: bringing this up. Gosh, I had this it's, very it's, conversation with a friend of <laughs> mine today. He was asking me. He said, "Do you ever watch an interview or a broadcast uh, of someone and?" You know, like let's say they're in they're interviewing a conservative or something, and they just they just blow right through it, 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 with as if the person they were interviewing said nothing, just totally ignoring everything they have to say, just to restate their point. He said, "Do you ever like write those interviewers? Do you ever write those journalists or quote unquote journalists a note, a letter, mm-hmm. an email?" It's such an interesting question, and you're right. It, it's called invincible ignorance. They just they they Invincible just tune out words. totally to yep. anything you have to say as if you're yep. just what there to mark time i suppose yeah and we we saw that you- at the hearing right i mean at one point oh, yeah you know they they put out a press release saying not, no no facts establishing censorship were presented and, you know just in those few words it's like what were the last 5 hours one of the senators i think it was a actually it was a state rep listened to Anne atkinson's uh, presentation it was about 15 minutes long i think and said well but do you have any evidence <laughs> and Aunt said do well, you want me to repeat that. my last 15 minutes i mean well you, yeah they're 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 just they're, they're these 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 kind of conf- i think it's buddhist actually these kind of buddhist monkeys that hear no evil see no evil <laughs> but boy do they speak evil you know
2: well yeah and hear no evil. truth see uh, no
1: truth but boy do they not speak it either you know
2: well, yeah, and, and uh, Anne was spectacular, too. I mean, the, the whole idea and the two male senators, one was Kerr and the other, I can't recall his name, uh, you know, who were obviously, you know, on your side. Um, they were, again, to me and you, we're all stating the obvious. We're, we're stating the fact that in an institution that is supposed to promote a freedom of thought, freedom of
1: speech,
2: and a freedom to think However, wrongly, and it's okay to be wrong if you admit that at some point, you know, if you're, you know, 20 and not a liberal, you have no heart. If you're 40 and a conservative, you have no brain, right? You know, Churchill, maybe, I don't know. But the, the idea that these people in their 40s or 50s or had, you know, the nerve to sign a letter banning the concept of anyone, especially with, what, health, happiness,
1: and... Health, wealth, it and it? happiness, yeah, yeah, C- condemning and it I mean, and condemning the speakers as white nationalists and purveyors exactly. of hate and yeah, all the a, rest. A yeah. a
2: Jewish uh, man... Every person is, on the
1: panel was a racial problems. or ethnic minority, every one of them, every one of them. Yeah. The doctor, Robert, yeah. Kiyos- Robert Kiyosaki, and Dennis Prager. I, I've got a treat for you, by the way, Rob. In oh, studio, good. in about a half hour, I'm going to have Robert Kiyosaki and Ann Atkinson. That ought to be fun.
2: Oh, wonderful! Yeah. Boy, yeah. my timing is so perfect yeah. here. That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just found a, a, a very similar uh, streak with. When I was uh, chatting with my naval academy friends. You give them all the facts, and they say, oh, "Please state the facts," or they embellish it by, "Oh, this isn't the fact," because they've been so brought up yep. with Washington Post, New York Times, uh, NPR. Mm-hmm. Mainstream media. Well, even yeah, those
1: papers used to be liberal. They're just not anymore. That's the difference between no. the liberal and the left. Liberal is, that's right. you know, free and open and reflective. And as uh, Justice Learned Hand once put it, is not too certain he is right. I've changed my mind on a bunch of things. Gosh knows. I even. Cha- I mean, really. I mean, that's I, I, what it means to be human, not a robot. Thanks, Rob. We'll be right back. Folks, how do you think the Biden administration is handling in the economy? I mean, the inflation, the talk of recession, stock market volatility, bank failures. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? It's a portfolio from Y-Refi, and you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi. Y ReFi is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the one oh one. I have. And I can tell you that you will not get a sales pitch and no one's gonna ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Y ReFi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm and you can earn up to a ten point two five percent rate of return. That's right, a ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R E F Y dot com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. 888 Refi 34, 888-Y-Re-Fi 34. Um, I don't know if, um, like me, you kind of follow these various and varying announcements and unveilings of different new conservative movements, different new organizations that – you know, kind of—or scholars that put out public letters, like Nash, NATCONS, the National Conservative Movement, um, or America First Conservative Movement. But they keep developing, it seems like, in uh, in various guises. The latest one is called Freedom Conservatism, and it was signed by, I don't know, 80, 50, 80 scholars or conservative writers. And— they're kind of like their own little manifestos, creeds of faith. I have to tell you, this one on freedom conservatism, none of them quite still match what seems to me still fine, which is the Sharon statement that was put together by Young Americans for Freedom, or for that matter, the Credenda of the first issue of National Review, which was written by Bill Buckley, it seems to be able to cover enough here. But a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine, sent me a, a recent essay uh, by a scholar I've liked for many, many years named Daniel Mahoney, and he was writing on the topic of the end of ordered liberty, the end of ordered liberty. And he writes, I recently came across an open letter on freedom conservatism, signed by many friends of mine, good people all. The freedoms defended are eminently choice-worthy, and the warnings against new authoritarian threats from the left and right are well taken. But this sensible statement says nothing or next to nothing about the hollowing out of the moral foundations of democracy. There is a reason for this. As Carson Holloway has pointed out in a new book from Encounter titled Up From Conservatism, our founding fathers appreciated the traditional religion and morality. They appreciated that traditional religion and morality are essential to America's identity and to a healthy and decent society. Was that not what Will Durant was getting at in that essay of his I read, by the way? Dr. Mahoney writes, ours was founded to be a free country, but equality and natural rights, as precious as they are, do not give freedom its ballast and spiritual strength. As Halloway has pointed out in recent decades, for example, quote, marriage has been redefined, public education has been used to indoctrinate the young and radical sexual ideologies, and religion has been marginalized, all while, all while propositional na- nation conservatives have been unaware that the nation's character has been transformed, all while propositional nation conservatives have been unaware that the nation's character has been transformed. Stick with me for just one more few set of sentences from Professor Mahoney. The lesson to be drawn is that freedom and virtue stand or fall together. Rights, including natural rights, on their own risk becoming too formal or too abstract without the accompanying presence of the natural moral law, and sound common sense. A freedom that cannot name and vigorously resist moral nihilism for what it is risks becoming all creed and no country. To defend freedom today thus requires not only manly resistance to the emancipatory project that erodes and destroys freedom, order, and authority at the same time, but a reconnecting of liberty and human goods, including civic and moral virtue. Only by doing so can the United States become a model of self-government. For the world once again. I just thought that was so well written and so well said and such a good reminder. When you read these new kind of movements in conservatism popping and cropping up, ask yourself, does it still maintain the kinds of things our founding said we were about or is it as Mahoney puts it in that nice phrase, all creed and no country? Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth Leibson, and it is an honor to bring back to the show Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, proudly representing Arizona's 8th Congressional District. And as I like to say, also a lot of common sense. Among other things, uh, Congresswoman Lesko was placed on the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic, uh, which just held, uh, finished up another hearing. Congresswoman Lesko, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us.
3: Thanks for having me on, Seth. It's always I'm always happy to be on with you.
1: Thank you very it's an much. Honor. Yeah, well, the honor is ours. Thank you. You honor us with your service. I um, what did we learn? <laughs> I mean, these. It, and then I want to ask <laughs> you. I want to ask you a little bit, uh, Congresswoman, about what we do with what we've learned. But you guys just finished up. You guys and gals just finished up uh, a hearing titled "Investigating the Proximal Origin of a Cover Up." Tell us what this was about, Debbie.
3: Yeah, it was another interesting hearing that we had in our select subcommittee, and our two witnesses were Dr. Christian Anderson and Dr. Robert Gary, mm-hmm. and both of them were co-authors of the paper called "Proximal Origin," right. which went into detail how they believed that COVID nineteen origins were from uh, nature. Right, but the the problem is is that so on. February 1st is when Dr. Fauci was on a conference call with a number of scientists and Dr. Collins. And that was February 1st. And, and back, back
1: in 2020, at, just when the outbreak and, was yes, out. Yeah,
3: right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, that's February okay. February 1st, that's okay. 2020. Right. And before this conference call, both Dr. Christian Anderson and Dr. Robert Gary, the two witnesses, Wrote emails which we got on record, our committee, that basically said, I'm paraphrasing, there's no way that this is from nature. There's too many things in here. It's too coincidental for things to line up like this. And even uh, Dr. Christian Anderson was uh, interviewed by our committee staff, and he said, that he was so concerned about the origin of COVID that it wasn't nature, that he wanted to know if he should contact the CIA or the FBI.
1: Hold that thought, real that quick. Time. One, one, quick. That's huge, and and I'll want to return to it. But when we say uh, that the origins weren't from nature, we're talking not from like let's say a bat, right? That's what we're talking about. That just kind of we're,
3: yeah. we're talking about that, the virus. Yeah, right. The virus was engineered in some way we think at the Wuhan lab.
1: Right. All right. Sorry. So he says he was so concerned he considered that we needed to alert uh, uh, CIA or FBI. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead.
3: Yes. And that was an email that we have as proof. Uh And so both of them emailed different emails saying they were very concerned about the origins of COVID-19. They did not think it aligned with nature. Right. Then three days later, February 4th, 2020, after the February 1st conference call with Fauci and Dr. Collins, all of a sudden they totally changed their minds right. in three days, right. Right? right? And they they emailed the in, initial draft paper of what's called Proximal origin. Mm-hmm which went on to say basically, oh, no, it had to come from nature. You know, we don't think it came from the lab, right? Right. And so one of my questions, first I asked a question of Dr. Gary, and I said, in your documented emails to Dr. Fauci and others, dated on February 1st conference call, both of you seemed absolutely convinced that covid-19 was not from nature. Right. In fact, Dr. Anderson went on to talk about talking to the FBI and CIA. Yet on February 4th, which is 3 days later after the conference call, you sent this or Dr. Jeremy Farah sent this email with the drafting, what changed your mind? How is it that you could change your mind that fast. Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't, he didn't really answer except he told another member, Oh, we have new evidence, but he really didn't say what the evidence was. Uh And then, and then, um, and then I said, you know, to both of them, I asked both of them, okay, Dr. Redfield, who was the CDC director at the time and not invited to this February 1st email, um, conference call, uh, testified in our committee this year that the Wuhan Institute of Virology deleted the COVID sequence in September of 2019. Dr. Redfield also said that they turned over control of the Wuhan lab in September of 2019 to the Chinese military, and they also changed out the ventilation system at the Wuhan lab in fall of 2019. And I asked them, if China wasn't trying to hide anything, why would they do that? Right. Well, Dr. Derry said, oh, well, I can't speak for the Chinese. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Anderson was more um, combative, and he goes, oh, well, that's just routine. It's just routine to change out the ventilation system. I said, how about changing over control to the military? Mm-hmm. How about deleting the sequence? And he said, oh, that's just normal. Well, come on, BS. That's not, (laughs) that's not normal. So anyway, we feel that the evidence points to Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins both had input into this proximal origin to try to put out to the media that this was just by nature. It had nothing to do with the lab. It couldn't have had anything to do with the lab. And my guess, a guess, I don't have proof yet, that the reason they did it is because Dr. Fauci was giving grant money out That helped fund the Wuhan lab that did gain-of-function research, which changes the virus to make it more lethal to humans, and somehow it leaked out, either intentionally or not intentionally, and caused COVID-19, and he didn't want anything to do with it. That's an assumption, because what else? What would be the reason why somebody, two scientists, would change their minds so dramatically in three days?
1: And be combative about being questioned over it? Sometimes that notion of Occam's razor—the most obvious answer—is usually the right answer. The one yours, the one you're you're yeah. suggesting, um, Congresswoman Lesko. You so, know, yeah, y- go ahead. Yeah.
3: Y- you asked, what What are we doing about yeah, it? Yeah, let me do this. Well, Can I take know. a quick con- – yes, do you have time
1: for just sure. a little sh- – we have a very short segment on the other side of this commercial break. If you'll let me do that, yeah. Let me uh, pick up that thread with you when we come right back. Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, uh, Arizona Ace- Arizona's 8th Congressional District, is our guest. And we'll uh, we'll get the follow-up in the CODA to this hearing, and we'll be, both of us, right back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Debbie Lesko is our guest, Congresswoman representing Arizona's 8th Congressional District, talking with us about her hearing on the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic. So we reveal all this stuff, or I should say thanks to you, Debbie, Uh, Congresswoman. You reveal all this stuff, uh, all this information, and uh, what now, what next, what happens next?
3: Well, the good thing is that Republicans are putting so much pressure on the Biden administration that they had to do something, right? So just recently, I think just the other day, Biden announced, okay, we're not giving any more taxpayer funding to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Mm -hmm. So at least that is uh, some win. But it wouldn't have happened, in my estimation, if Republicans didn't keep investigating this, pressuring it, pointing it out. The next thing that we did, Republicans did, is we put in, uh, legislation and also in, um, appropriations bills, wording that, um, money cannot go to the Wuhan Institute of Virology or any place that does gain of function research that's an adversarial, uh, nation like China. Yep. But in addition to that, um, we we want Eco Health Alliance not to get any more money, and unfortunately, Dr. Fauci gave them more money. And Eco Health Alliance was the one. That got a grant from the National Institute of Health, and then they gave the sub-grants to the Wuhan uh, lab right. to do the gain-of-function research. And they didn't do any reporting. They didn't follow the law, so they shouldn't be rewarded with more money. Yep. And so we're inserting that legislation into appropriations bills. Great.
1: Great. I'm so glad about I'm so glad to hear this and I'm so glad, Your Honor. You're absolutely right. None of this would have been revealed. There would have been no stopping of this kind of funding uh, unless Republicans were in charge here. I don't even know if Anthony Fauci would have even retired, to be honest with you. Or for that matter, Rochelle Walensky. But what you guys continue to uncover is fantastic. And I guess the only other question I would say is aside from the money. Oddities that are involved in these kinds of things, Debbie. Twenty seconds, if you can. Was was this cover-up designed to just protect our relationship with China? At the end of the day, is is could it be that nefarious?
3: It, you know, it definitely could be. There's yep. no way for me to know. I'm not yep. in their minds. Right. But also, I think it's to cover up Fauci giving yep. money That's to the it. lab That's, that leaked yeah. COVID-19. Yeah.
1: yeah. At the end of the day, that too is the Occam's razor hypothesis. Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, have a wonderful weekend, and thank you for everything you do. Thank you. God bless. And I am Seth Liebson. We will be right back. We have Robert Kiyosaki and Ann Atkinson coming on